Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the First and Ten podcast, brought to you by Blog and the Boys, powered by SB Nation. As always, it's Tony Catalina and Aiden Davis bringing you all the Cowboys' latest news. So, uh, first off, I just want to start with you, Aiden. How are you doing, and how has your weekend been? It's been good. This entire week, I've loved consuming just Cowboys content. I, I don't put any stock into grades whatsoever, but reading. I'm willing to read everybody's draft report card on the Cowboys because to me, like this is all we have right now is those report cards and those arbitrary grades. So I'm, I've been eating it up. Yeah. For me. So this is kind of same similar situation from myself. I've actually kind of gave myself a homework assignment. And so to speak, I've, I've just tried to dive in and be more knowledgeable of the game itself. Like I'm reading about, you know, defensive principles. I'm trying to read about some offensive philosophies and um, that's more just me trying to be more of a student of the game. Um, And that's, we, we have this time of year to kind of use that. And so for me, that's, I'm trying to educate, be more educated, I should say, as I fumble that up. Um, but uh, I'm trying to be more educated in the game and then kind of, you know, translate that to Cowboys stuff. And, uh, you know, you can never learn enough of this game. So I guess I'm using the downtime for some good use, I guess. So are you trying to study like coverages and different schemes? Is that what you're studying? Yeah, like I was, I watched a video, or a few videos of the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals break down like a cover two and what he's looking for and kind of what his philosophy is. And that kind of like spurred me to like d- do a deeper dive into like, you know, you know, three by one sets and offense and kind of looking at like maybe what is a West Coast principle or philosophy. So I'm just trying to really dive in and kind of I'm thirsting for knowledge right now. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, and I know you're a, you're a flag football prodigy at the quarterback. So is this going to seep his way into flag football? It might be. Uh, sometimes I forget about that too. Like whenever we have our Thanksgiving day football games, I'm like, I, I talk to these guys like we're on Sundays. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, it's not <laughs> like we're all just lining up and it's just seven guys, but no, yeah, you're right. It, it, I can't hurt me on that field if I know more <laughs> about the game as a whole. So. Yeah. And listener, if you haven't seen the clips, if you go to Tony's YouTube, you will find dots. Tony, turn, Tony serves <laughs> up dots on Thanksgiving. It is insane. You know, like, um, it's funny. I, I didn't I know you a, had the arm like that. I, I make a joke about it because, like, I'm a, I'm like a, I put, I'm a heavier guy. Like, I'm, I'm not a big guy, but I'm a heavier guy. And so I always say that I'm like the Jared Lorenzen of our group, you know, RIP, but um, <laughs> like a hefty lefty guy. Like, I could throw it. I mean, I'm telling you, you put an apple on your head, I'll take the apple right off. Like, for some reason, I have pretty good aim and I can throw a football a little bit. I just wasn't blessed with uh, the the height, so to speak. So my, my career ended before it began. Yeah. Fun fact, I was I was a quarterback in high school. I was a certified bench warmer backup quarterback, <laughs> but which to me I was I knew that I was never gonna be good enough to like go to the next level. So I was completely fine just riding the bench as the quarterback. So I get that. <laughs> what level? So you played in Texas. What level was it? Like triple A, four A, what is it? What do they call it down there? 
it was 6A, which meant that there was a 0% chance I was ever <laughs> going to see the field. They did so, not want me touching the field. So who's the quarterback that started above you? He was a guy who ended up, I think, so I quit my junior year, but our starting quarterback the like throughout my entire high school career, he ended up transferring to receiver and went to some small Texas college. So, I mean, okay, we, we weren't insane. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, I mean, everything you know about, you know, Texas high school football, 6A is like the real deal. So I can, I can understand, uh, you know, maybe why you're, you're riding the pine a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's different than like, like there are some 6A schools like Allen that we used to play against. And I got to see like Kyler Murray play and like, and then I see our squad, which I mean, I come from a town that it does not breed fo- football prodigy. And so the result is we're just getting destroyed by these legit 6A schools. <laughs> I mean, that's always a miserable experience there, especially when you get, you know, Kyler Murray <laughs> running around you. And I remember I've only been to Texas one time. I went to the Cowboys Patriots game in 2000, was it 2015? I believe it was um, when they played the Patriots. And uh, I just remember I seen just as much like Allen, Texas, like memorabilia as I did cowboy stuff. So um, it was big time down there. That was my first real taste of like Texas high school football. No, Allen, Allen's essentially a college town where Allen high school is the college. Like it's, that is Texas high school football at its peak. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I, I could talk high school football. I could talk college football. I could talk Texas football. And we're going to continue that, but on the pro level. And we're going to start our show off with a little Micah Parsons talk. So I know if you missed it, if you've been under a rock, if you missed it because you're kind of stepping away. But, you know, thank you for tuning in. But as it's been reported, Micah Parsons is putting on some weight, some more good weight, as you like to say, to to uh, to play a full-time role at defensive end. Um, initially, I just want to get your initial thoughts on this. Is this a big deal? Is this something that's just like a formality? Like, how do you feel about this move here from Micah? I'm, to me, I'm interested in what quote-unquote full-time means because at the end of last season, we essentially saw him as a, he was a quote-unquote full-time edge defender. I mean, he had times where he'd shift to off-ball linebacker, and that's kind of what I want to see Micah do like this upcoming year. If he's going to be a quote-unquote full-time linebacker, I still want us to have the, the flexibility to be able to, okay, right now we're running a package with Demarcus Lawrence, Sam Williams, the Mozzie Smith up the middle, Oso Digizua. So Micah, you can shift out to off-ball linebacker for this one, and we understand you're not going to make as big of an impact, but it allows us to get other athletes on the field. So I'm all in on Micah playing 80, 90% of his snaps at edge defender, but I don't want us to completely take away the aspect of Micah just being a pure athlete. Yeah, and so for me, it's I answer this question kind of riding the fence here. I think it's a big deal and a formality at the same time because it's a big deal when you have a generational player, your best player, you know, play at his best spot, and that's and you you can call him that, right? He's a defensive end. He's somebody that's going to come in, rush the passer, and just be that guy on the edge. But I think it's a formality because we saw him do you know eighty percent plus of that last year. So yeah. putting a name on it is fine, but you know can't undersell the fact that it's actually happening. So I love the fact that they're you know he's game game planning and scheming for it. he's trying to put on more weight, some good weight to be stronger. Because you know if there's one thing about Michael Parsons last year that you can even knock him for at all was. It just looked like he was beat down a little bit at the end of the year, right? Like a little wear and tear, some injuries, looked like some fatigue. When you go out there and you you only know one speed, like 
that 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 attrition is going to catch up to you at some point. So I think he recognizes that in year three to put some more weight on, to put, put some good weight on and be able to kind of be in those trenches because, you know, look at year one to year two. Like he played much more off the ball linebacker in year one. He felt a little bit more fresher. Right. And then next year, last yeah. year, um, just a little bit of fatigue in that. So I think it's a good move. I think it is a big move. But again, it's a, an anticipated move that I think we all expected here for a while now. Yeah, and what we're talking about that fatigue, I do think there's a little bit of an asterisk on it because he was hurt for like we don't really know the injury, but it's clear that Micah was dealing with some type of minor injury that he just refused to let. Like, what do you remember? What specific, what specific, even area of the body was it? His like hamstring? It was a hamstring issue. Yeah, I, I remember. Even... There was a few games where it's like he wasn't supposed to come back in. He was stretching it exactly. out. He was like, he was just a third down yeah. pass rusher and he just wouldn't take himself out of the game. Yeah. And so I think like that's part of it. So I don't think it's all just like, I think Micah can withstand a full season edge defender. My thing is we don't really have a ton of clarity on this right now. Do you think this is more of a Dan Quinn move or more of a Micah wanting to knowing his biggest impact comes when he's putting the quarterbacks on their back do you think which do you think this is coming more from because i i would assume both of them had a say in this but is there one more than the other you know it's it's a that's actually a really good question because i I think it was a collaborative effort i think that they look at the roster i think the way maybe with year two year one of dan quinn with bringing in and implementing his defense he needed as many playmakers in as many different spots as he could get right so i think having micah parsons at that linebacker spot made you feel better about the linebacker group as a whole, right? And the same reason why him playing defensive end, you feel really good about your pass rushers. I think now that he's got his system in three drafts in now, um, they probably feel good about some of the youth at linebacker and, you know, they'll let those guys kind of rise to the occasion, so to speak, and be like, okay, Micah, this is where you can really wreak havoc on an offense, go be a defensive end pass rusher. But at the same time, we're going to have that little, like, you know, chip in our back pocket and say, if we want you to rush through the A gap, if we want you to line up as a linebacker, but me be more so of like, like a predator type of player, right? Where you're kind of roaming around and doing your thing. So I think his, his role, so to speak, is more of like an attacker. It's not like an official position, but he's going to get the pass rusher. He's going to make plays. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was a lockstep, like uh, in collaborative move between the two of them. I agree. I think that one area that kind of concerns me with this, and once again, I'm in on this move. I think Micah being, like once again playing like he did at the end of last season. And I know his numbers don't look as on a per snap basis. You're like, oh, well, Micah's efficiency declined. Well, yeah, because like you're you're not going to maintain the level of rookie year Micah if you rush him every down. Like that's just not going to happen. So I'm completely in on this move. I think the numbers at the back end of last year were a little bit deceiving. The one thing, the one eyebrow raise I have is I think the what position group would you say strongest on this team? Because I'd almost argue it's defensive end in terms of depth and talent. So does that mean we're going to get, does that mean we're going to see less Sam Williams? Are we going to see less Dante Fowler? Does that mean junior now is officially a D tackle? Like how does this play in with a very, very deep defensive end room? I think, I think they were, it's just putting an official, in my opinion, of something that was there, right? I don't think, I don't think Sam, you know, Sam Williams is his cut of plays is going to be the same because Micah had, 
you know, just because they put a name on the role. So I feel like it's very much in the same sense. They might just have, you know, you know, when, when Michael was bouncing between linebacker reps and, and um, defensive end reps and practice and pregame, like, I think this is a way to kind of lock Micah in, let him be what he is, you know, a playmaker on the edge there. But I think, Joe, to answer your question, like defensive end is stupid loaded. It is. I think that yeah. know, defensive end, we're, we're at a conversation now where, or we've had all off season where people are like, let's get rid of Dorrance Armstrong or let's trade, you know, do you know, let's let's cause we got Sam Williams. We've got Michael Parsons, like Demarcus Lawrence. Like there's just so many guys that need their chances like Dante Fowler. Like, so yes, defensive end is, is, you know, it's an embarrassment of riches right now. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's a really good problem to have to figure out how you're going to sort that out. I agree. And with that, I interesting question for you. What are the odds you think Dante Fowler makes uh, the 53-man roster at the end of the OTAs and the offseason? It's a great question. I mean, I, I guess it depends on, like, what do they get from some of these younger guys, right? Like, yeah. um, I mean, Sam Williams, he takes a massive step forward, which we anticipate, like, he's going to make a big leap and you'll probably get more more time. Sam Williams might squeeze Dante Fowler out. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, that's a great question because I believe, I don't know if it was you or if it was Sturch or somebody else, but I think we had, one of us had Fowler not making the 53. I, was that you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're not far off in now then. So if if everybody develops and moves forward like they did, that could be another repeat conversation here in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I just think at some point, like, you know D-Law is going to be playing a lot of snaps at defensive end. You know Micah is now going to be playing, and as we saw over the back half of last year, a lot of snaps at defensive end. Dorrance Armstrong looked great. He's going to get his. And Sam Williams is now in his second year. I want to see his usage increase. I don't want to see the same 2022 Sam Williams. So you're just talking about a lot of defensive end snaps. And so guys like Dante Fowler, like, I'd almost like if I'm Jerry, I'm getting I'm on the phone right now and I'm saying, is there anybody who's going to give us decent capital for Dante Fowler? Because at this point, I just don't think he's going to see the field. Like, I love the defensive end by committee, but with the amount of defensive end snaps that you need to give these players, I just Dante Fowler might just get squeezed out here. And that's the whole thing. So I don't know why if there would be any, you know, reason for a team to trade for him unless they didn't want to compete in the open market. Because yeah, if, if that's how it works out, then you know you could just wait and Dante Fowler would be one of those cuts. So I guess if you want to cut out the middleman of trying to negotiate and you just want him on your roster, that would be the bargaining chip the Cowboys hold. So it's definitely interesting to see how this defensive end rotation is gonna work out. And I know you probably shouldn't take too too much from OTAs, but um, you know, OTAs are coming up in a couple of weeks, so I'm sure we'll analyze like who's the first out, who's the second group out. And we'll look at that and we'll kind of see, um, you know, how that shakes out, especially at the defensive end spot. But what I wanted to ask you kind of off of this was with him having such a prominent role at defensive end and this kind of being like the official move, um, do you still hope to see him in a linebacker capacity? Like you still want that mixed in, sprinkled in? Do you think that he's a weapon in that role and you don't want to see that go away? Yeah, and I think it's going to be scheme-based. Like, for example... I think the Eagles schemed against uh, Micah great last year. Like they just, like we saw it, they just said, okay, we're not, we're just going to run to Micah and we're going to double to, and, or sorry, run away. It was the strategy. They ran away from Micah, right? And that's what worked so well. I think, yeah. 
So they, they put him in bind with um, you know, sorry, I had my mic off there. Um, <laughs> they had uh, they put him in a bind with um, <laughs> the way they kind of did um their their play action and the way they kind of did their RPO stuff. Like they just put him in a conflict with if he if he dove, like they would just pitch it out. If he went outside. Hertz would just keep it. So in that position, the way they worked it, like it just put Micah Parsons in a tough spot. Yeah. Yeah. So games like that where you're seeing like, okay, Mike is just not really going to get his this game. They've schemed him well. They're every time he's lined up on the edge, which is going to be every play now. They're sending a tight end on that side. He's getting double teamed by the tight end and the offensive tackle. The guards are pulling there when teams are specifically scheming for edge defender Micah yeah I'd love for them to shift him out to linebacker and just say okay you prepared all week for Micah to be a pure edge let's see how you handle Micah linebacker so like once again I'm completely all in on him playing 80 90 percent but I think with him now playing 80 90 percent at edge that 10 percent is going to increase his efficiency when is he playing when he's playing off ball linebackers so I'm yeah, I'm completely in for him still being used, still getting linebacker snaps. I totally agree. And that's where, um, you know, it kind of goes without saying, but I just wanted to present the question because it is so valuable, in my opinion, to have him be able to do some of those things. That's what makes Michael Parsons special. And that's what Dan Quinn as the play caller and the defensive coordinator is so special is he's going to understand what his strength is. And his strength is attacking the pass rush. I mean, attacking the quarterback from the pass rush and just being that piece on the edge that's going to give tackles fits. But at the same time, you got four down linemen on a pass rush situation, and now you got Michael Parsons roaming in the middle trying to pick his spot between, you know, is am I going to rush in between the left guard? Am I going to rush between the right guard? Like, am I going to twist and stunt with Demarcus Lawrence, who's in the interior? Like, there's just so much to be had and done with him as like a, you know, a, a chip piece. And so... Yes, I understand that this role is or this move is to make sure that this is Micah Parsons as a whole moving forward as the pass rusher. But having him be able to be on the ball or off the ball as a linebacker and use him in different ways is is going to allow the Cowboys defense to stay dangerous. So then this is just a crazy thought and a thought that really isn't going to be super productive. But you mentioned like when Micah was stunning last year when he was able to rush the interior when they just got him able to shoot out of a cannon up the middle to especially like this happened a lot when he was playing linebacker where he can just bull rush the center and guards do you think we see Micah line Micah line up at D tackle this year I mean we saw it last year right I mean I think they're yeah gonna, you know I think it's fun you know I don't I think you put a center in a, in a confusing spot, right? Because you're trying to call out protection and you're trying to set it. <laughs> like, how do you account for this, you know, 250 pound <laughs> defensive end who's also a linebacker who's lined up as a nose tackle, who's probably going to bail out or maybe he's going to pass rush or you don't know what he's doing, right? So I think that's what's so much, that's so fun. And there aren't many people in this league that is capable of doing that, right? So this could be a uniquely Dallas Cowboys thing. When you go to scheme against the Cowboys defense, there's so many different things you got to prepare for, and it all really starts with number 11. Yeah, and it's worth noting that this is now year three under Dan Quinn, and one amazing aspect of year three Dan Quinn is that he has he's done a great job maintaining all his players so like there hasn't been much turnover year to year and so all these players are going into year three dan quinn and so i think if when you have that base knowledge of what his defense looks like what schemes he likes to use now at, with each offseason he's just going to keep dialing up the creativity and i think we're going to see once again like 2022 is more creative than 2021 i expect 2023 to be more creative than 2022 because like 
my favorite formation last year is when we just ran four defense events on the defensive line. When it was just like D-Law, Parsons, and I don't know. I don't really. It was like D-Law, Dorrance, Armstrong in the middle. And then you just had Sam and Mike on the outside. To me, that was my favorite formation we ran. Yeah, and that's and you know we hear Dan Quinn talk about it too. When he first got here, it was all about simplicity and right and putting guys in winning positions. Don't overthink. I think that they always say, and it's a cliche in football. It's like if you're thinking, you're slow. So you know if you can be fast, know what you're doing, and be quick with it. That's how a team could be most successful. But as you get in the program here, year two, year three, like you said there's more familiarity. It becomes second nature. So you can add more wrinkles and add more variables to this defense and still not lose that speed and that aggressiveness that you can have. You're just becoming more complex for an offense. So yes, it's a tough situation for some of these rookies, especially if these rookies want to, you know, help out at the beginning or, you know, early on in their career, but these veterans who have been in this system are going to be flying around, but in a complex manner. So I I think um, Dan Quinn is going to really be in his bag this year. And I think that's going to pay dividends for the rest of this team so is do you expect us like because we've always this is another big topic over the offseason and 2021 obviously they were they killed it in takeaways 2022 we saw the takeaways decrease but that was offset by the fact that their sack numbers absolutely skyrocketed do you expect to see the sacks now regress or do you think that I mean, Dan Quinn just knows how to scheme a defensive line and he's going to get his sacks regardless. So we shouldn't expect massive regression there. I actually think it could either hold steady or get better. And that sounds kind of crazy based off what last year, but we didn't have a number two corner like Stefan Gilmore last year. So yeah. having two corners that can win on the outside, going to make the quarterback pat that football, maybe one or two more times, you know, kind of sit in the pocket because you, they they're all on time and rhythm. They want to get this football out, but if the, nobody's open and you're going to jam that into Trayvon Diggs or Stefan Gilmore or Deron Bland, like, you're either going to get a pick, a bat down, or you're going to hold it long enough that there's going to be a sack. So I think their their idea, and my idea too, is I, be, I buy into it, is the, the numbers aren't going to regress because of the of the talent around. It's if, if the talent fell off and they weren't there, then sure, you can get the ball out quick, play the short game, the quick pass, and you know you kind of neutralize Michael Parsons in that. But I think the way they're building the secondary isn't going to allow for offenses to attack us like that. You didn't want to throw Eric Scott's name in there? in the list of (laughs) new cornerbacks we have. That's my little, you know, that's a little pet cat for me there. Um, He's got some work to do, but I'm intrigued by him. I mean, I think our three are solidified, but I, I said it before. I think I said it on the round table. Uh, Eric Scott's going to probably put, you know, um, he's probably going to put one of these guys on notice. I said maybe Jordan Lewis because he's got a year out and I think it's $1.1 million to get rid of Jordan Lewis. And Kelvin Joseph needs to change his, you know, his football life around <laughs> if he wants to stick around and nation. Wright is nation. Wright. So um, there's definitely some jobs to be had here. And I think Eric Scott could definitely take one of them. I think pretty soon we need to do an early 53 man roster prediction because one of the most interesting aspects of this team as it relates to the 53 man roster is going to be that cornerback room. I mean, you just named a lot of names where it's like Kellen Joseph's 50, 50 in my mind. He looked better at the end of the year, but that was mostly on special. That was almost exclusively on special teams. Now, Sean Wright still hasn't taken the, any hasn't produced nowhere near the level you'd expect out of a second round pick. And now you're throwing in Eric Scott. To me, this is, that is the most interesting aspect of this team as it relates to the 53-man roster. You know what's funny? It's not well, It's not funny. It's what I've studied and I realized. With Nation Wright, he has a fundamental understanding of what he needs to do, and, and he does it pretty decently well. I think what Nation Wright's problem is, 
he's he's like, okay, I'm going to sit back here and I'm not going to let the big play be made on me, but he's not going to go out there and make the big play. So like things happen underneath. He's, he's always in the right spot, but like a, a, a top tier corner isn't going to allow that spot to be had. Right. So while Kelvin Joseph probably had too much confidence and that's why he got smoked in a lot of situations, nation, Wright <laughs> Doesn't have enough where like, you're going to go ahead and jump that route and, and trust your eyes and trust your ability. So it's going to be interesting because you know, these guys get to where they're at based on their ability and their confidence. Once they get there, the guy, the great ones keep that confidence. They walk in, they know they're the dog, and then they stay like that. And some guys who, you know, kind of fade to black kind of lose that. And I'm I'm afraid that's what Nation Wright's doing right now, but I hope I'm wrong. I mean, you heard it here first. Tony says that the combination of Nashawn Wright and Kelvin Joseph would make what, the next Jalen Ramsey then? If you could equal out now, combined, yeah, combined (laughs) one body. So one last, one last topic on Michael Parsons before we get going here. It's, I don't think it's been made a big deal, but I thought it was interesting. You know, he's not with the team. He'll join them for the mandatory stuff Um, with Michael Parsons working out by himself. I believe he's in, is he in Austin or is that what I heard? He's in Austin. He's in Austin working out big deal and no big deal to you. I don't love it. I mean, this guy, Michael Parsons, in year two was the leader of this defense. Like everybody looked to Micah as like DeMarcus Lawrence is what? Probably an eight year veteran, nine year veteran. I don't even know at this point. D law is the staple of this defense specifically on the defensive line. And yet people are now already starting to look at Micah. I don't love the fact that he's not with the team, but at the same time, I mean, if he's that serious about bulking up and he literally is, he's just putting the horse race, goggles on and just saying i'm only focused on bulking up i'm only focused on playing edge i need to tune everything out like i get it but i'd if i had my druthers he'd be with the team yeah i i i feel pretty much similar to what you say like i in in a vacuum i don't care like you know what i mean like i I believe michael parsons is going to do what he needs to do and he's going to be ready to go like he's just that guy so but like like you said leader of this team you know, I think this is a very big year for Mike McCarthy, D- Dak Prescott, you know, for everybody involved. This is a big year for the Cowboys organization. So um, while it's probably small and no big deal on the on the surface, like you would like to see your superstar be there. And again, that's me just, you know, you know, pulling hairs or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it, I guess I would like it more if he was there. And, you know, I don't want to make a big deal out of it and make it something that's not. But in a perfect world, like you said, he would be in the building working out with this team. But I mean, to me, it doesn't shake my like belief in his commitment to this team or his leadership ability. Like, like I, I think we, we're both on the same page, right? That like, although we'd prefer him to be with the team, like it doesn't make him any less of a like it's not like this is something to look down on, Michael. No, right? no, yeah. but you know, but you know how the media works, especially with the yeah. Cowboys. It's like contracts coming soon. Mike Parsons ain't working there. Like, what's this mean? And then you got like Skip and stuff, and all those guys talking about it in negative light. And I don't think it's that. And that's why I say sometimes you kind of want to just do the right thing to avoid any nonsense. But again, this shouldn't be a story. It won't be a story. Um, but if it becomes a story, we'll know why, and it's because who we are. And I mean. My thing is, does he, how much weight does he need to gain? Because I 
he's already a mammoth of a human being. Is there yeah. a lot? Does he need to put on a more a, that much more weight? Well, I think Sorry. the last thing I said he was at, I think he said he was like in the 247, 248, and I think he wanted to get to 252. And he was talking about putting muscle on. So it probably won't be a huge deal, but it's definitely probably a change to how he was attacking his off seasons, his off seasons before, right? Like you want to get a little bigger. Yeah. I mean, it's much, it's very easy. I trust me. I know how to put on fat. But I think it's a little harder. <laughs> it's a little harder to put on muscle. So speaking of fat and speaking of big boys up up front, we're talking about Mike Solari, the new offensive line coach. This is kind of a bad segue. So pardon me on that. But um, you know, <laughs> now you uh, kill it. <laughs> Zach Martin had a chance to talk with the media, and he was talking about O line coach Mike Solari and said it's bringing a quote unquote edge back to the group. Um. You know, how do you feel about that? Like an offense online, you feel like edge is kind of synonymous, right? Like you want these guys to be tough. You want them to be put you in a dirt, like bringing the edge back, quote unquote. And I do air quotes. Is that a good thing that that they're bringing it back? Is it a bad thing that they even had to bring it back? Like, where, where are you on this comment? Now, I think, in, you know, in face, this is a really good thing about the offensive line group. It means Zach Martin and the veterans are liking what the new old line coach is doing here. So I don't want to lose sight of that. But what do you feel about that comment that they're bringing the edge back, so to speak? I mean, to me, this is just it's putting lipstick on a pig, right? Like, I I, I don't think the offensive line is going to be bad this year. And yet they might have. Like they might take a step forward with Mike Solari. I don't, I don't doubt that they can get better. But the issue is, is you can't. And like Zach Martin's, and this is not going to come out of Zach Martin's mouth, so I don't blame him for saying like we're going to get the edge back. But like I just have a problem with the fact that we did nothing to address the offensive line this year. And so even people on the team realize like the offensive line did not play well in 2022. And so when you're having veterans like Zach Martin realize, oh, we didn't have an edge last year, I think it's less of the attitude they were walking in with and more of a failure to prepare and the Cowboys did the exact same thing go heading into 2023 where I think they failed to prepare and so like I don't like yeah the quote's cool but we're walking into another trap here especially if Tyron gets hurt which we know he will yeah that's the hardest part for me is to answer that question directly before I kind of go on a tangent um Bringing the edge back is important, right? This is a team, you know, I mean, you can look at the context clues, right? I understand that Mike McCarthy likes to pass and he has West Coast principles, and but Brian Schottenheimer likes to run. And they always tell us they like to be moving forward with their offensive line. And they built it to the fact that guys like Tyler Smith and, and Terrence Steele are better when they're run blocking. It just kind of tells you that they want to be a tougher unit up front. Now, does that translate to them running the football more? You know, that's a that's a question. That's a debate. We'll see what happens, right? I, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the recipe but if that's what's going on they have the pieces in principle to do that in place but yes bringing the edge back would be a good thing but uh, you know i want to pivot to the second part of this is you know bringing the edge back is nice but how about just keeping the health there right like my yeah. whole thing is this offensive line will be fine if they could stay healthy if we're playing musical chairs and we don't know who's the center or the guard whoever the tackle tyler smith tyron smith moving pieces if we can just keep a unit intact i think that will be okay no, I completely agree. I think that if we have, if it's Tyron, Tyler, Tyler, um, Zach Martin, and Terrence Steele, like to me, that is, yes, that is a very solid offensive line. And they'll probably end the year above average in terms of pass blocking, run blocking metrics. I'd love that offensive line. I just don't 
nowhere in a million, never in a million years am I going to bank at this point in Tyron Smith's career for him to get through the season. Like if he plays a full 17 games, that could be the, it would, that would be more surprising than the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl this year to me. So like you can't bank on that to happen. And so if you already know that your left tackle is likely going to get injured quickly, all you've done to address it, like Tyler Smith's then going to have to shift out to let left tackle. And you're now going to have what Chuma Doga at left guard, Asim Richards. Is it going to be like Matt Willett's go gaining positional flexibility? Like, Farniak. I just don't. Yeah. Matt, sorry. Matt. Yeah. Matt Farniak too. Like, I, I just, I don't know what's like, I, I do agree when healthy, this offensive line is great, but I, I'm not banking on this offensive line to get through a full 17 games with perfect health. And that's the thing, right? So I don't, that's the hard part. It's, you don't want to like prepare you think that everything's going to be a perfect scenario, but it's almost like the Cowboys kind of put themselves in that position where, you know, okay, every, if everything's perfect, we're going to be fine. But like, what, what is it if it doesn't go perfect? Like you mentioned, Tyler Smith kicking back outside. Is it Farniak? Is it Esmir Richards? Is it, you know, who, who is it at left guard? Is it like Odoga? So it's, that's where the real issue becomes to me, right? Because if Terrence Steele goes down, stinks but we could probably put matt well let's go out there right like if if, yeah. if jack martin goes down huge blow like what do we do it's all in the guard spots that's an issue like if if tali biotish goes down you would think Matt farnia can be able to come in there and do something now there's obviously gonna be a drop down because those are starters for a reason but where i'm really nervous is if one of these guards go down i'm excuse me if one of these tackles I guess I'm kind of talking in circles here. No matter what happens, if there's an injury, there's going to be an issue at the guard spot as a result of it, right? Because um, if if Tyron Smith goes down, Tyler Smith kicks out, left guard's a weakness. If Zach Martin yep. gets hurt, right guard's a weakness. You know, you can probably make it work if, if Terrence Steele gets hurt. So it, it just to bank on the health is, like you said, it's a scary proposition. It's probably not how you should build around your team. But I, I say this to say, and maybe you agree or disagree, they probably feel a little bit more comfortable with what they have in-house than the rest of us do because that's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah, I mean, that or it's just ignorance. I mean, does, did Jerry not see, like, the offensive line, you could argue, like, yeah, I understand it was not Dak Prescott's best game of his career. I The defense played an outstanding game in that playoff loss to the 49ers. Dak, like, Dak didn't have his best game. But at the same time, can you blame him when, like, the 49ers were coming at that all like like Nick Bosa was get like it was just a mess on that offensive line in the playoff game. And to me, it was a huge reason why they lost. And yet Jerry does all he does over this offseason is sign Chuma Doga and then draft a fifth round like tackle slash guard. Like maybe there's the like how confident are you in Matt Lewetz Will let's go? Because to me, it seems like you have more confidence in him than I do. I'm not confident in Will Let's Go at all. So I actually now I'm confident in like him in a pinch, right? I don't want him to be my everyday starter, but I am a little bit more bullish on his future prospects. I th if I mean maybe it's because comparatively speaking, <laughs> like him or Josh Ball is like Jesus, <laughs> like it's a nightmare situation for me. So um, I, yes, I think Matt Willis will be okay. He dealt with the shoulder injury. He came into the organization with a shoulder injury. The whole team knew that the shoulder injury was a ticking time bomb. If he's healthy, he has some buildable traits. He has some things that he can do. So, and the thing is, he's not even the swing tackle. He's like the swing swing tackle because Ty Tyler Smith would be kicking out before he even comes in the game. So in, in that sense, he's just just a good 
fourth tight uh, tackle. You know what I mean? He's like the fourth tackle on the roster. And I think if we can have a guy who's halfway decent, I feel pretty good about that. But the Josh ball experiment and those guys, that's where the real question marks are. I mean, but you'd assume Walesco is going to get a decent amount of playing. Like he is going to play that swing tackle role. And so when they use six offensive line formations, it's like on the goal line, third and one, I ex Malowetsko is going to get, he's going to get some snaps, right? Yeah. I mean, who would you who, thinking it out loud? Like, they usually probably want mass or a little bit of athleticism. Yeah. Like other than, well, let's go. Who's it going to be? I think you're probably right on the money, but is it Farniok? Because we've seen Farniok do it before. So it's got to be one of those two guys. Well, yeah, but that's why I think like, I prefer it to be neither. And I prefer it to be a veteran tackle that like, isn't going to like, it, like Jason Peters to me was a great swing tackle. If we didn't have to use him as in the full-time role, like we did last, like if we could have got a guy like Jason Peters over the off season, like that to me, that would have been ideal. Yeah, so, I mean, but just for clarity purposes, I believe our swing tackle is Tyler Smith. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, so I guess, I guess I, it's not perfect, right? Because they handle it differently. If Terrence Steele goes down, I think the first one in is Matt Well, let's go. If Tyler, if Tyron Smith goes down, the first one in will be Tyler Smith. You know what I mean? So, I there's no side specific. I don't think they, they've had Ty, uh, Tyler Smith playing right tackle. So, I guess Ty, uh, Tyler Smith's replace would replace Tyron Smith in this situation. So, and it's almost yeah, like side specific, if that makes sense. No, I can. I'm. I think we're on the same page here. I just, I just wish they did more to address the offensive line this off season. And I mean, we'll see. Maybe I'm going to be proven wrong. I was proven wrong about. Um, well, I was proven wrong through the first like ten weeks of last year, and then injuries hit, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I was right all along. We should have done more to address this offensive line. Yeah, well, speaking about right is kind of our last topic we're going to briefly touch on here. Um, if the draft pick steals somebody's job, then you would think that the, the scouting department and Will McClay got it right. So with that being said, in that professional segue there, who do you think <laughs> is on notice for somebody, one of these rookies, whether it be undrafted or drafted, that is going to take somebody's job? I can go first if you need to think about it. Um, I kind of spoiled it earlier. I think Jordan Lewis is on the hook for Eric Scott. And one of these rookie guys, I think Jordan Lewis has a very easy out, like I said, with $1.1 million being the cap hit if he is cut. Uh, I think cornerback is deep enough where we don't need to worry about that veteran presence because Jordan, like, that's why you would keep Jordan Lewis, right? He's tough. He's got the veteran pre presence. But if there's somebody in here that can do his job for less money, I think uh, he should be on notice here. So are we talking about, like, when we say job, do we mean, like, meaningful reps? Do we mean starting job or do we mean any type like making the 53 man roster it could be anything you want i mean specifically i'm i think that jordan lewis could be in danger of not making the team but you could say like x y and z is going to take you know abc's job they're still going to be there but he's going to lose his reps yeah i'll give you i have two answers i think number one in in terms of people or in terms of players who i now think are at risk of making the 53 man roster in general I think that with the Mozzie Smith pick and now with we assume Junior Fahoko moving to defensive tackle, I think Neville Gallimore is at risk of not making the 53-man roster. I mean, we saw him be he was healthy scratch. He was a healthy scratch at times last year. So that already means that like in a relatively like it's not like our defensive tackle rotation was super deep last year, and yet he was still a healthy scratch at times. So I think if we're looking at guys who might not make the 53-man roster. I think uh, Junior, or sorry, I think uh, Neville Gallimore is one. In terms of players who I think are going to lose meaningful reps, 
I think with the drafting of DeMarvion Overshawn, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of Jabril Cox this year. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe something's happening behind the scenes in terms of like he's just completely bounced back from all the injuries he's had. He's looking like the athlete that the Cowboys drafted. But if he's progressing the way that we've seen him progress over the last year and a half, I think there's a real chance that it's just like, okay, DeMarvion Overshawn's our athletic linebacker. Jabril, can you help us out on special teams? I think that's a good point. I think, um, you know, I think that's something that's very real, right? I think a lot of people were talking about um, with the move of Micah Parsons, how important that overshone like selection was, right? I think a lot of people yeah. or um, Dan Quinn sees a lot of like athletic traits in him that could kind of fill the gap. Now he's not Micah Parsons. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's that type of talent, but you can see the athletic profile that like Dan Quinn could be interested in that second level, second level, you know, offensive, I mean, excuse me, off the ball linebacker type of role. So yes, I think Damone Clark, Leighton Vander Esch, and if it's overshone or Jabril Cox, like I think they feel good about the, the elder statement and Leighton Vander Esch and then the young guys around to kind of be a good linebacker unit. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jabril Cox, because I mean, for Damone Clark to come in here and have like a spinal fusion and not be able to play for like two thirds of the year and step right in before Jabril Cox is even thought of. That's yeah. that was a that was an eyebrow raiser to me. I mean, you could see the talent, you could see the kid was a stud, but for you to go from zero to a hundred like that and be in the in the lineup was was interesting. So I think that you're probably right on the money with that selection. Yeah, and I mean I'm a big fan of Damone Clark. I believe in the talent, and I think he's gonna by the end of the year, I think it's gonna be like one A, one B. Like I don't think we're really gonna see late now i've also been a huge Leighton vander esch fan on this podcast i was the resident truther when he was up for his first contract but i do think by the end of the year it's like damone clark lve like they are on the same tier if not damone clark is just like clearly the better linebacker here i have a lot of faith in damone clark so after that it's like okay we now need an athletic linebacker demarvion overshawn i think he's gonna fill that role yeah, I think that's uh I think it's well said. I, I'm I'm bullish on him too. I think that was one of my favorite picks in the draft. I think him and Deuce Vaughn really got the fan base excited. Mozzie Smith excited for the right reasons. Um, you know, let's see what happens to Schoonmaker. Like there are some intriguing picks, but you can definitely see some of the fan favorites in this draft class for obvious reasons. And I think Overshone is one of those guys. Um, you know, before we kind of wrap up the latest episode here, the first and ten podcast, anything else that we didn't talk about you want to touch on or anything else you gotta get off your chest? Uh well, I mean one job that you could have brought up given that he was he's been your guy for the last couple of years, the drafting of Deuce Fawn uh, means Rico Dowdle. Is he on the roster? Is it Ronald Jones? Bro, it's Rico, crazy to see, me. I mean Rico's job is in doubt. Listen, I, that's the mind blowing thing to me, and I know you say this just to, for good for good uh podcasting, <laughs> but um people, I mean, people that I respect and talk about, like speak about Malik Davis, like he beat Rico Dowdle out. Like, I need people to remember that he didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Malik Davis did not beat Rico Dowell for his job, period. Like, we're not going to rewrite history because Malik Davis was the guy. Rico Dowell got hurt early in the season, allowed Malik Davis to come in and get an opportunity. We like what we saw. We were intrigued by what we saw. But if we're talking facts, the facts of the matter is the Dallas Cowboys organization thought more of Rico Dowell. So, yes, I think there is a real conversation. If Malik Davis steps up in year two and Rico Dowell isn't who I think he is, then, you know, he's in trouble. But I think 
Malik Davis is just as much trouble with Deuce Vaughn here as, say, Rico Dallas and Ronald Jones is. So, and with the Hunter Lepke coming in with the fullback, I mean, I it could be a world where it's, you know, Tony Pollard, Deuce Vaughn, one of Malik or Rico, and then Hunter Lepke is the fullback, and those are our four, four like running backs back there. So I think everybody's in no, on notice with the two uh, free agent class or uh, rookie class guys coming in. No, I think like I think most likely we're just gonna run three like the way we've done the last few years. Like on the fifty-three man roster, it's gonna be um, three running backs, and maybe that third running back shifts in and out. I was just interested, like. Do you want to give an early prediction between is it Rico? Do you think Rico beats out Ronald Jones and Malik Davis? With I you know what? It's it's too early to say. I want to see an OTA. I want to see what they look All like. Right. I want to see if Rico is healthy. But I would say it, we had this conversation last year and Rico won the job. So if that means anything yep. whatsoever, and I know every year you gotta prove it again, but they thought enough of them last year. So it'll be interesting heading into this season. I agree. Another interesting position group. Absolutely. I mean, there's going to be a ton to talk about. And um, as we move closer here is two weeks until OTAs. Um, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. We're kind of talk about some of the position battles. Maybe they'll sign somebody. I know there's been conversations about, you know, filling some plugged holes here with free agency. So, you know, they always say talent is a 24 seven business acquisition, I should say. So uh, with that being said, it's Tony Catalina, Aiden Davis, the latest episode of first and 10 podcast brought to you by blogging the boys SB nation. Um, I will say, I don't say this too often, but if you could please like, write, r- write a review, leave a rating, that would be awesome. We appreciate that. It goes a long way. So again, from Tony and Aiden, I hope you guys have a great week and we'll catch you next week. Peace.